decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Thursday, the 19th day of January, 2023. I almost said 22, but I caught myself. 2023. And this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast podcast. Enunciate, Gene. It's very important. This is a podcast dedicated to scripture, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. We webcast Monday through Friday at 7.30 Mountain Time here on Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch. And you can download the podcast wherever you find fine podcasts. Uh, or, you know, this podcast is available wherever it's sold. So you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc., etc. Tune in, uh, Odyssey, where else? We're all over. And we are also found at the ChristianPodcastCommunity.com because we are a proud member of ChristianPodcastCommunity.com and I encourage you to check out all the other podcasts that are over there because you're going to find great stuff. And it is Thursday, which means it's Theology Thursday. We are looking at Chapter 8 of the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, Paragraph 10, which is the, the final paragraph in the chapter. So in looking at Paragraph 10, we will be finishing off the chapter, and that will be uh, next week. It'll be Chapter 9. Okay, a couple of things to to square off our week. I, I mentioned yesterday that uh, I would, uh, when we were talking about the, the, the during the uh, failed invasion of the promised land, as the, um, when the, you know, God, they, God told them to go into the promised land and they wouldn't. And then he told them they couldn't go into the promised land. So they tried to just the rebellion of the human heart. And it's said in, in Numbers chapter 1 at the end of the chapter that the, the oh gosh, look it up, Gene. You just can't do it off your memory. Firing up accordance and going to Deuteronomy chapter 1. We'll just look at it. All right, Deuteronomy, and it's down toward the end of the chapter. It says, there we go, chapter 1, verse 44. And the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out to meet you and pursued you as bees do and crushed you from Ser to Horma. So I said I wasn't an entomologist. I wasn't sure what kind of bees we were dealing with um, in the area. But I had a friend. I think she's still a friend. <laughs> I have a friend who is an entomologist, and so after the podcast yesterday, I sent her a note and and basically said, hey, what kind of bees would we be looking at here? And uh, after letting me know that she's not an expert on Middle Eastern insects, she then proceeded to send me about 10 pages on different sorts of, of animals. 
And what she said was that she believed it was probably some sort of wasp. Um, the word in the Hebrew can be used for bees or wasps. Um, stinging insect, basically, thing. And her point was that bees, when a bee stings you, it's fatal to the bee. So they are reluctant to sting except in absolute defense of their hive. And so having bees chase you is not is unusual. Um, and yes, we discussed the, the famed killer bees, the Africanized honeybees uh, that were so well popularized by John Belushi <laughs> on Saturday Night Live. Um, and and I haven't really heard anything in the news about the killer bees in quite some time. But uh, she said that, that that's an unusual behavior in a bee and uh, that that was a, a special case. It, it seems that the African bees were not nearly that aggressive before they were bred with the honeybees and that the, the breeding of the African bees and the honeybees short-circuited something in the bees so that they were unusually aggressive. Um, but wasps and hornets, on the other hand, are a different critter. They can sting multiple times and they can be very aggressive. And so she's thinking that this is probably describing the behavior of a wasp or a hornet. Now, it's neither here nor there. It's I mean, We all said, you know, pursuing you as bees do and crushing you from Ser to Horma, that they you know, being chased by bees, um, you know, normally, you know, yeah, you're going to be chased by, by wasps. So think more wasps than bees. Um, but that would just, an interesting note that I, I thought, you know, I did follow up on that. I did message my entomologist friend, she and her husband are living in Southern California, and they were getting ready to... They actually flew back to Montana yesterday to come for a visit. I'm not seeing them, but uh, they're not going to be in our area here. But only people realize Montana is just shy of the size of California. And uh, I'm on the extreme western end of the state. So you can come to Montana... And be nowhere close to me, and so just, and it's a it's a state that's almost the size of California, with just over a million people in the state. So we like our space, we like our privacy, we like the the lack of crowds. <laughs> so, just to uh, throw that out there. And it's bitter cold in the winter, and in the summer bears will kill you. Stay home, do not come to Montana. And, uh, except to spend your money and then go back home. You know, we appreciate tourists for that reason. All right, let's get into it today, as is our practice with the Prayer of Confession from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, 
and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. All right, I got one more thing I need to talk about before we get into Theology Thursday. I got an email yesterday from somebody who had a question, and I invited questions yesterday. And uh, this is Nikolai. He's a longtime listener. Um, and he and I have had multiple interactions on Gab um, and on Twitter. And so this is somebody I'm, I'm getting to know well, a, a fan of the podcast, and I appreciate him being out there. But his question was, how did I get the nickname of Squirrel? Okay, set the Wayback Machine for 2008-2009. No, Squirrel is not a childhood nickname. It's not something that was hung on me in high school or anything like that. 2008-2009 was when blogging was at its height. Um, In a lot of ways, I mean, there are still blogs out there and there's still some that are very much worth reading. But there was a a vast proliferation of blogs in the late, early 2000s. That sounds funny, doesn't it? The late, early 2000s. Um, And and you had, you know, blog sites like Blogger and WordPress. And and they're still around. And, I mean, my blog is still in existence. But I haven't written anything there in a long time. But blogging was at its height around 2008, 2009. And I started a blogger account um, for the purpose of being able to comment on other blogs. Namely, Phil Johnson's Pyromaniacs blog and Dan Phillips' Biblical Christianity blog. Those were the two blogs that I was most active on. And when you sign up for a blogger account, which I needed to comment, you get the ability to start a blog. And I had not started a blog or anything. And But the more I was, you know, reading blogs and commenting on blogs, the more I had the itch to write blogs. Well, Dan Phillips wrote a blog article on his blog, not on Pyromaniacs. And it was about Saddam Hussein's efforts to rebuild Babylon. And in that um, article, he told the old Sunday school joke that you've heard. It's the, uh, the, the, the joke goes like this. There's a, a children's Sunday school. And there's a new child in the class who's never been there before. And so the teacher is asking, and this is fairly young children, the teacher is asking the students questions from the week before 
at the start of class. And so she asked little Susie, you know, who walked on water? And she said, Jesus. She asked little Bobby, you know, who, who multiplied the loaves and the fishes and fed the 5,000? He said, Jesus. And she goes around the room and asking these questions. And she gets to the little boy that's new in the class, and she knows he hasn't been at the class and, and, and probably hasn't been studying anything. And so she says, well, um, what's gray and furry and lives in trees? And the boy just kind of looks at her. And she said, well, it has a big fluffy tail. It eats nuts. And, and finally, the little boy says, lady, I know the answer has to be Jesus, but that sounds like a squirrel. And, and Dan used that joke to make a point. And, and in the article, in the comments of the article, somebody else made a crack about why are you writing about squirrels in Babylon? And that name struck me. And so I, later that week, started my own blog, A Squirrel in Babylon. And I wrote, I signed everything squirrel. And about the same time, I became active in James White's Prosopologion chat channel with Alpha and Omega Ministries. The chat channel is long gone, which is sad because um, it was, uh, it, at that time, it, it, it was a fun place to hang out. And I've met very good friends hanging out in that chat channel, including James White. But in those days, it was the early days of, of internet relay chat. Well, actually, it wasn't the early days of internet relay chat. It was toward the, the end of Internet Relay Chat. But you were limited to eight characters for your nickname. Well, I already had the blog, so my nickname in channel became Squirrel. And so I became fairly well known as Squirrel. When I started Twitter, my Twitter handle is Squirrel. So this is how the squirrel came about. So we're looking at 15 years of me being squirrel, 15 of my 58 years. So, um, like I said, it's not a childhood nickname. It's not something I've had for a long time, but it is something I've run with, as you can tell, from the fact that this is squirrel chatter. There's a squirrel on my microphone flag. There's a squirrel warning sign in the background behind me. There's a stuffed squirrel over here looking over my shoulder. Um, it's actually a finger puppet. Squirrel finger puppet movements. So, so that's the whole story behind how I became squirrel. Probably more than Nikolai wanted to know, but I'll give. I thought I'd give you the full version. Normally, when I tell it to to shorten everything up, I just simply say that, you know, I only had eight characters available to make a nickname for a chat channel, and so I became Squirrel. Um, because that is where the Squirrel nomenclature spread from. 
Um, but it's, I mean, I, I am, and then when I started driving bus for the school, which was 2011, 2012, the students asked me, you know, what do we call you? And I said, just call me Squirrel. So I'm known far and wide to countless high school students as Squirrel and junior high students. And uh, so the, the Squirrel thing has stuck. I have no intention of, of changing monikers again. Um, you can't see it, but above my right shoulder, up near the ceiling, <laughs> I have a shelf of squirrels, stuffed squirrels and stuff. Do not send me stuffed squirrels. I don't have room for any more. I don't have room for the books I have, let alone shelves of squirrels. All right. I hope that answered the question. And now before we get into our study, we are looking at the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, excuse me, chapter 8 of Christ the Mediator. And we are in paragraph 10, which is the, the last paragraph of the chapter. Let me read it and then we will discuss it. This number and order of offices is necessary for in respect of our ignorance, we stand in need of his prophetical office. And in respect of our alienation from God and imperfection of the best of our services, we need his priestly office to reconcile us and present us acceptable unto God. And in respect to our averseness and utter inability to return to God and for our rescue and security from our spiritual adversaries, we need his kingly office to convince, subdue, draw, uphold, deliver, and preserve us to his heavenly kingdom. So this is talking about the necessity of the Lord Jesus Christ possessing the offices of prophet, priest, and king. Now again, I've, I've pointed this out, but it, this is a good place to review it. A prophet represents God to man. So when we read the prophets, we're reading the words of God given to the prophet to be given to people. So a prophet represents God to man. A priest represents man to God, offering prayers, offering sacrifices, coming before God on behalf of the people. That was the role of the priesthood in the Old Testament. They worked in the, the tabernacle and later in the temple, bringing the sacrifices before God, offering the prayers, the incense, taking care of all the temple duties. They were serving God on behalf of humanity. And so a priest represents man before God. A king is, of course, the ruler who sets policy, who, who makes decisions, who, who, who guides and judges, is a king. And so we need all of these offices. And so that's why he says the number and order of offices is necessary. And then the first reason is, for in respect of our ignorance, we stand in need of his prophetical office. We need to be taught of God. We need the instruction of who God is, 
what he requires of us, what he expects of us, what his standards are, what he, how he judges those who disobey. We need that communicated to us, that we need the Bible and we need the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the, the opening verses of, of Hebrews. Let me look that up and read it. So I said yesterday, I don't script the program, so I wasn't planning on looking this up. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, having spoken long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days spoke to us in his Son, whom he appointed of heir, th heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, who is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power, who, having accomplished cleansing for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. So, having spoken to humanity long ago, in the prophets, this final revelation of God comes through his son. Because Jesus, unlike all the prophets who came before, is the perfect representation of the Father because Jesus is God. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We've heard that more than more than one, more than more than once. So because we are ignorant of God, we need God to speak to us. Romans 1 talks about the um, sufficiency of natural revelation to make us without excuse for sinning against God. Because of natural revelation, we know that God exists. We know that he is powerful. We know that he is moral. We know that we are sinful we have no excuse for not worshiping God. God doesn't believe in atheists. Everyone knows God exists. But the natural human tendency, because we are sinful, is to suppress that truth that we know in our unrighteousness so that we don't worship him. We deny him. We pretend he doesn't exist. And that is the state of mankind. So that's what we can know from creation. That's what we can know from natural revelation. To know anything more about God, that he loves us, that he sent his son to die to pay for the sins of all who would believe, all of that we can only know because God tells us. And so we need special revelation. We need the prophets, the ministry of the prophets, whom God spoke to, to tell us what he wanted us to know. And the last of these prophets, not chronologically, but because you have prophets in the New Testament who wrote the New Testament, so not the last prophet chronologically, 
but the last revelation of God is Jesus Christ. And the prophets of the New Testament are teaching us what Christ taught us. Um, and, and that's what he told them they would do at the end of the book of John. He says, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to send, you're going to, the Holy Spirit's going to bring into remembrance everything that I taught you, and you're going to teach it to the people. <laughs> that's the Great Commission at the end of Matthew. Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. So what we have in the apostles' teachings, which is what the, the New Testament is, what we have in the, pro, the apostles' teachings is the priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. So while he did not personally write any books, his teaching is handed down to us through the prophets, through the New Testament. So because we are ignorant, because we need to be told, we need his prophetic office. Now we have here a couple of, one proof text for this. This is John 1, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So no one has seen God the Father because God is spirit. But God the Son, the only begotten God, Jesus Christ, he has explained him to us. He has revealed him to us. And, and that, is, that is very important. So we are ignorant. So we need a prophet. And, the 1689 continues, in respect of our alienation from God and imperfection of the best of our services, we need his priestly office to reconcile us and present us acceptable unto God. Our alienation from God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our sin has separated us from God. We are in rebellion. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are children of wrath. That is the natural state of man. Because we are sinful. Because of that alienation, we need a priest to offer a sacrifice to cleanse us from our sin. Also, having been saved, the best of our services is far from perfect. Um, I made a statement one time in a class, and I think I've said it other places as well. And I took a lot of flack from it until I explained what I meant. I'm sitting in a Bible study looking at the class and I said, we're all sinning right now. Sitting here in a classroom in a church, having a Bible study, we're all sinning right now. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. The standard is perfection. Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. The standard is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, 
and all your strength. And none of us have ever come close to that. And it doesn't matter how dedicated you are to God. Your dedication isn't perfect. It doesn't matter how close of attention you're paying to that sermon or to that Bible study, a part of your mind is distracted. You're thinking about something else. You're wondering who's going to win the football game today. You're wondering if you're going to beat the Presbyterians to Denny's. There's all sorts of things on your mind as you're trying to concentrate on the sermon or on the Bible study. It's one of the reasons why you should take notes. Taking notes helps you focus. But even then, your focus isn't going to be perfect. If you're like me, you're dyslexic, and you're sitting there trying to remember how to spell a word as you're writing down a point, and he's three points further along in his message, and you missed it. <laughs> so we are the best of our services is imperfections. As, as Isaiah said, all of our righteousness is filthy rags. That's our righteousness. That's the good that we do. That's not our, that's not our worst. That's our best. So we have imperfections in the best of our services. And because of that, we need his priestly office to reconcile us and present us as acceptable unto God. So in his priestly office, because he is both the sacrificer and the sacrifice, he is the priest who offers the sacrifice, and he is the sacrifice that is offered. He is the perfect lamb without spot or blemish. He never wavered in his love for the Lord. He never wavered in his perfection. And if we're honest, that's hard to conceive of. And the reason it's hard to conceive of is we have never for an instant experienced the absence of sin. None of us for an instant have experienced perfection. It just hasn't happened. And so, you know, we can't really conceive of it. Yet, Christ lived that perfect life that we can't live. And he did that to present us acceptable to God. But he also had to reconcile us to God, so he had to be the propitiation for our sin. He had to pay that debt for us. So he did, this is, this is the, the active and passive obedience of Christ, to use the theological terms. His active obedience is that he perfectly obeyed the law of God. Unlike all the rest of us, he perfectly obeyed the, the law of God. He put no foot wrong, he had no thought wrong, he had no word wrong, Nothing. Perfect obedience. From birth to death. Something that you and I could never do. And then, being perfect and not deserving of God's wrath. 
he took God's wrath in our place. And we have this great exchange where our sin is nailed to the cross with Christ and paid for. And we receive in the place of our sin his perfect righteousness so that we can stand before God acceptable. And we think, you know, here, here's something that, that English and all language really is, is inadequate in expressing. There are terms that are black and white, acceptable, unacceptable. When we think of something as being acceptable, we often use that word to mean, you know, it's acceptable. It's not great. It's not the best thing it could be, but it's acceptable. Acceptable is not a gradation. Acceptable, unacceptable is black and white. So when we stand before God and we are acceptable in his sight, that means we're perfected. Now, it's not our perfection. It's Christ's perfection. So that's, that's you know, it's like adequate and inadequate. Yeah, we say, ah, oh, it's adequate. That, that's not what the word means. <laughs> It's yeah. It's not a a barely acceptable thing. It's either acceptable or it's not. And the only acceptable thing to God is perfection, because God is absolutely holy. And and we we fail to keep that in our minds sometimes, most of the time, we fail to keep that that absolute perfection of God that that we're required to have. We we don't. Keep that in the forefront of our minds. And so we need the priestly office of Christ to reconcile us to God and make us acceptable. Understanding that perfection is the only thing that's acceptable to God. We're given a few proof texts here. Colossians 1.21 and 22. Paul writes, and although you were formerly alienated and enemies in mind and in evil deeds, but now he reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. This is one of those passages that's full of pronouns that we need to define which pronoun goes to who. Although you, that's you, that's me, were formerly alienated and enemies and mind and in evil deeds. But now he, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, reconciled you, that's you and me, in the body of his, Christ's, flesh through death in order to present you before him, the Father, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. This is why we need a priest. This is not something we could do on our own. We also have Galatians 5.17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you do not do the things that you want. This is pointing out our imperfection. We, 
we fail to live up to our own standards routinely, let alone living up to God's standards. This is why we need to be gracious to each other and forgive each other. Because, you know what? If you spend a lot of time around me, there's going to come a time when I snap at you because I have a tendency to get irritable. It's not a good thing, but it's there. So I'm going to need you to forgive me. And at times, you're probably going to say or do things that are, you know, not up to your own standards. Don't even get us started on talking about God's standards. <laughs> we don't live up to our own standards. So because of that, because of that, that's why we need to be perfected. That we have, we, we still struggle against our sinful flesh. Um, that's one of the things that, that, that makes heaven um, incomprehensible for us. I've often thought, what makes us a, a good story? What makes a good movie? What makes a good novel? It's, there's a conflict and a resolution to the conflict. Well, without sin, there's not going to be any conflict. And so for a sinful human, we can often think, well, that's going to be boring. But it won't be. It won't be boring at all. It's going to be glorious. We have never not known the presence of sin. And so we cannot conceive of existence without sin and conflict. But it will be perfection. It will be glorious. So we needed that priest to cleanse us of our sins and make us acceptable. We also need a king. Let's look at this last section. And in respect to our averse, aversedness and utter inability to return to God, and for our rescue and security from our spiritual adversaries, we need his kingly office to convince, subdue, draw, uphold, deliver, and preserve us to his heavenly kingdom. So, here we have the, the, the need for, we have a need to be governed. We are incapable of governing ourselves. Um, and by that I mean, we, we screw things up. There's a t-shirt I've seen, I haven't, I don't have one. Um, but it would be it would be one that would be uh, apropos for me. But there's a T-shirt, and you've probably seen it too, and it says simply, "In my own defense, I was unsupervised. Uh, I was left on my own, and I screwed up. We're not left on our own. We need to be governed because we are incapable of governing ourselves." And we have a perfect governor in the King Lord Jesus. Perfect government, perfect rulership. See, it says that in respect to our averseness, um, 
an aversion to something is something you don't like. Right? I have an aversion to cauliflower. I really do. Not something I'm going to munch down on. So an aversion is something we don't like. What is our aversion? What is our averseness towards God? Our averseness towards God is that in ourselves, we do not desire righteousness. We have a tendency towards sin. Not in our redeemed spirits, but in our sinful flesh, which we are still attached to. Now, someday in the resurrection, we're going to have sinless flesh, and that is going to be, as I said, it's an inconceivable experience, and it's something that I'm looking forward to greatly. But right now, we got sinful flesh. And so we're averse to righteousness, and we are unable of returning to God. So this is speaking of us in our sinfulness. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. It's, it's said many different ways in the scriptures. We are unable to please God. All of these things, you know, we, we suppress the truth in our unrighteousness. We reject the holy God to worship the creature rather than the crea creator. This is the tendency of man. And so for our rescue and security from our spiritual adversaries, we need his kingly office. What does this mean? Well, we can't save ourselves. Now we talked about, you know, the priesthood and the and the the prophet offices and how they contribute to our salvation. But the kingly office also contributes to our salvation. He protects us from our spiritual adversaries. He convinces us of sin. He subdues our will to his own. He draws us to him. He upholds us. You know, he who began a good work in you is faithful and just to complete it unto the day of righteousness. Who completes the good work in you? Not me. All my righteousness is filthy rags. It's him. He completes the good work in me. He delivers us. And he preserves us to his heavenly kingdom. A lot of this is achieved through his divine providence. Um, one of the things cracked me up. We were, we were in class one time. Um, one of the classes I'm taking at GBTS, uh, it was uh, last semester or the semester before. It was one of Dr. Johnson's classes. And he made a point that was both funny and profound. I've about knocked over that dish twice. He made a, a statement that was both funny and profound. And we were talking about holy living. We were talking about the qualifications of a minister and, and being above reproach and, and everything. And we were talking about the fact that for men, and this is true of ministers, non-ministers, taxi drivers, everybody, for men, and I mean, you know, males, it's true for females too, but to a different degree and in a different way. 
and I've never been a female, so I can't really talk to that. And no man has ever been a female, regardless of what modern peddlers of perversion will tell you. Men are susceptible to sexual temptation. And it's true of all of us. I don't know a man that that's not true of. And so we need to guard our hearts and everything. But one of the things that he said, he was talking about God's providence of keeping you out of, out of bad situations. And he said, let's be honest. Most of us aren't adulterers because we're ugly. <laughs> and then he explained what he meant. Okay. You know, none of us are, you know, very few human beings are super attractive, right? And so being a, you know, aging, overweight, gray-haired guy who didn't shave this morning, I'm not super attractive. Because of that, and nor am I super wealthy. Those would be the, those were the two. You're poor and you're ugly. That was his his thing. And so because of that, you know, I'm not being pursued by supermodels. I'm not having young, beautiful women throwing themselves at me to tempt me away from faithfulness to my wife. That's God's providence because we don't, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a sad situation, but a lot of us don't fall into certain sins because God doesn't give us the opportunity. We need his providential governing of the, the world that we travel to, through to prevent us from falling into certain sins. Isn't that true? You know, there are things that, that if I was physically able to do them, and I mean, if I was in the place and time and had the opportunity, that I would not be able to resist. And so God keeps me out of those situations by his divine providence. We need his kingly office to preserve us and govern and watch over us and keep us. The proof texts we're given here are John 6, 16 verse 8. And this is speaking, this is Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit, the other helper. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So why did I come to believe? Because the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin and the judgment to come and awakened me so that I would believe and accept the gospel. It didn't happen on my own. Salvation is of God. Yeah. Did I choose to be saved? Yes, I chose to follow Jesus. Why did I choose to follow Jesus? Because the Holy Spirit 
convicted me of my sin, regenerated my soul, and implanted faith in my heart. That's the only reason. I'm not smarter than anybody else. I don't believe because I figured it out and somebody else didn't. The only reason I believe is because he made me believe. And that's true of every believer. Psalm 110, verse 3. Your people will offer themselves freely in the day of your power, in the splendor of holiness, from the womb of the dawn, the dew of your youthfulness will be theirs. Will be yours. In the, because of the kingship of Christ, because of his superintending, because of his Holy Spirit bringing us to faith and repentance, we offer ourselves freely. You thought about that? I mean, you know, I said, I chose to believe. I offered myself to Jesus Christ. I did it because of the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And so the splendor of holiness is his. Okay. In verse uh, Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 74 and 75, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. The holiness and righteousness is his, not ours. We serve in that holiness and righteousness. We do it without fear. Now, without, without fear of his wrath. Um, this is not to say that, you know, that we understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We obey him because we fear to disappoint him. We're, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are not going to feel his wrath. If you are a Christian, you have passed from death into life. And his righteousness and his holiness abide in you. But we fear to disappoint him because we love him. So we serve him without fear, meaning that we're, we're not afraid of his wrath. But we serve him out of fear, meaning that we re respect and acknowledge his holiness and we don't want to let him down. That's the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of my own failure. I don't want to disappoint him. Now, I do every day, but I don't want to. And this is a prayer to God to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. We pray for this because we're not capable of it. So we need the office of the prophet, the priest, and the king to watch over us, to superintend our lives, to keep us from sin, to pay for our sin and to teach us. So all of these offices are necessary for our salvation. And because of that, Christ our mediator must be all of these offices.
All right, well, that finishes chapter 8. Next week, we're going to have chapter 9, which is of free will. Let us end, then, with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now the collect for grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings may be ordered by thy governance, to do always that is righteous in thy sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And and this is, again, it just struck me, This the Collect for Grace is a prayer for that kingly office. Says that So, you know, keep us from sin. Don't let us run into any kind of danger. And may everything we do today be ordered by God's governance. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> it's all around us. We need the prophet, the priest, and the king. All right, tomorrow's Federalist Friday. Look forward to seeing you then. Have a wonderful Thursday. I've got a busy one in front of me. As soon as I'm done here, i got to clean off my desk and get working on something else. It's a busy season. This is the first week of uh, classes through the spring semester at GBTS. I'm taking two classes this semester. And even though I'm only auditing, I am Captain Audit. Um, even though I'm only auditing, I've got the reading to do and and uh, and all of that because I do, I'm I'm trying to get as much out of these classes as possible, just without the the burden of having to complete the assignments, um, which also of course takes away the benefit of getting a a uh, grade and a degree, but as you know, I'm 58 years old. I don't need a degree. To, I'm 57. I'll be 58 in a few months. I don't need a degree at this point in my life uh, to further my career or anything like that, nor does my ego really need it. And uh, the first semester, I took four classes for credit, and the stress just about killed me. <laughs> so now I am Captain Audit, and uh, happily so. But uh, I do have some work to do there, and I've also got to teach a Bible study tonight. I've got a couple of sermons in the works because I'm getting ready to, to, to do some, some preaching in a couple of places. So, you know, life is busy. And, uh, and I've got to prepare these Deuteronomy studies on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. That's actually turning out to be more work than I'd expected. Um, you always underestimate how much work something's going to be. So, uh, so that's more work than is necessary. Folks, have a great great Thursday. I wish you all of 
God's grace and, and good favor. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. And see you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.